persistence pays off. A little bit better every single day, put the hooks in the water, continue to feed the plant, and someday, you know, you'll get to reap the rewards. You are listening to You Are a Lawyer. I'm Kyla Denagno, and let's get right into today's episode. We were just talking offline about AI and technology, right? And welcome to the You Are a Lawyer podcast, Carl Seelbach. How are you today? Good, Kyla. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. We were just talking offline about AI and technology, right? And you've actually opened a technology company, which I want to dive right into that. It's called Scribe AI. Can you tell the audience what that is and why you created it? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Scribe is, is spelled S-K-R-I-B-E dot A-I. And Scribe is a legal tech company that is basically presenting attorneys with a new way to capture legal testimony like depositions, much lower cost, much faster than old fashioned court reporting. So it's really leaning into a software solution, the power of AI, and you get just like we're recording this you know, podcast right now, if this were a deposition hosted by Scribe, as soon as the event is over, the attorney would have a video synced to the transcript and be able to go in and create video clips and digest that testimony and get their final transcript proofread uh, by a human being and certified within about three days. Okay. So just to give a little bit of background, depositions and testimonies, all of that is needed if you're a trial lawyer or does that happen in like, you know, regular transactional law? Yeah, <laughs> Do you take uh, depositions yeah. for transactional law too? No, no, it's a great question. So let me kind of set the stage and then I'll kind of explain how Scribe fits into that. Yeah. So depositions tend to be taken in litigation, not in transactional matters. And so it can be all different types of litigation. You know, it could be personal injury, it could be commercial litigation, real estate, IP litigation. We happen to be focused um, quite a bit on personal injury because that's an area of law where there are a lot of depositions. And so the depositions take place in the discovery phase of the lawsuit where the attorneys are really rolling up their sleeves and trying to find out what happened, how was this person injured? How did this deal go down? You know, whatever, whatever it is that they're working on. And in doing that, they're interviewing witnesses under oath. And so before COVID, if we rewind kind of back to 20, early 2020, 2019, most depositions, I would say probably 95 to, to 98% of depositions took place in a conference room at a law firm. And you would hire a court reporting agency. You would have a videographer if you wanted to pay for video. You'd have a stenographer typing at a funny looking little keyboard that's a phonetic keyboard. And you would capture that testimony. And it typically takes weeks for you to actually get a copy of your transcript or a copy of your video unless you pay rush fees. And so kind of fast forward to COVID and you know what happened during COVID? Where where'd we all end up? At home on a yeah. computer. At home on the computer. My kids even were doing school through Zoom for at least a semester. So Scribe leverages that. And, and the, what happened is some attorneys kicking and screaming, some attorneys willingly started doing their, their depositions, their client meetings, their hearings with courts through Zoom, and it actually stuck. And now, even today, about 80% of depositions are either fully remote or they're hybrid, which means maybe the attorney's there with his, his or her witness, but all the other attorneys have joined through Zoom. So it allows Scribe to come in and leverage you know, remote video plus AI transcription in a way that no one's ever done before. Yeah. That is absolutely fascinating. So 
as a podcaster, I know that like audio transcription has been around for a while. Why did you decide to create Scribe and not just take a deposition and plug it into something existing? Yeah, that's a great question. So a couple of reasons. One, the deposition use case is very specific. And so you want a third party neutral, right, to facilitate the deposition. That's not to say that an attorney couldn't have a do-it-yourself approach where they spin up their own software and capture the testimony. There are a lot of jurisdictions that allow that, but it tends to be frictionless if you have a third party provide like a notary public to swear in the witness, to help the attorneys and the witness for that matter through the deposition, provide technical support, uh, be able to authenticate after the event that recording is a true and correct copy of the recording and sign a certificate proving that up. And so there's some unique steps in that process, including even like the proofreading of a transcript. So like a lot of podcasting solutions, you get a pretty good transcript, right? But a lot of times it hasn't been proofread and, you know, and no one would certify it, right? It's kind of this is a true and correct copy of your podcast. And so that's the reason why legal happens to be a really good fit for a purpose-built solution. Um, but great question. Yeah, most transcripts that I get are absolutely terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't used Scribe, right? But I mean, just your regular podcasting stuff. They always misspell my name, right? But now there a lot of technology is being partnered with AI, so at least it'll... It's learning, right? Like I'll respell my name, you know, two and three times. And then from there, it's like, I bet we're trying to say Denanio. And so then it starts to get it correct. So, okay, it's capturing it. It's transcribing it. It's the proofreading. It's the certification. I got you, right? And, and the one thing that's interesting about it, Kyla, is the video is the record. So the way that Scribe presents it to the attorney it's in a web application where the transcript is synced up to that video. So if there's any question about what was said, the attorney or the paralegal, or whoever the legal professional is, can just highlight the text, tap play, and the corresponding segment of video will play. And you can actually share it just like you and I would share a YouTube video or a TikTok or whatever. You can create a little clip of the testimony and you can share that. So you've been busy in the last three years. This is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it this has is wonderful. Been, it has been busy. You know, it's been a lot of fun. Um, so obviously I have a law firm as well. We have 14 attorneys and um, 14 attorneys plus 10 staff members. So it's a team of 24. So that keeps us pretty busy as well. But I mean, that's really what inspired me to get into the software world. I've always been a techie. So I've always kind of cling to or, or kind of sought out what's the latest technology? What could I do to benefit my practice? And I remember when I first started, and I'll just tell this very short story, in 2006, so yeah, I did a summer associateship in 2005, started at a law firm in 2006, and I suggested to my secretary as a young 20-something-year-old you know, associate, hey, why don't we digitize this file? And like, we can keep everything paperless, and we won't have to keep all those Redwells and cat file cabinet yeah. and all that stuff. And you would have thought I would, was an alien. Like, she was, you know, what, what do you mean? You want me to scan this stuff? And so I finally compromised, you know, as kind of the new associate. I didn't want to ruffle too many feathers. And I said, let's just try it on the next new case we get and let's see how it goes. And once, once she tried it and saw the benefits of kind of having everything one click away, they realized I wasn't just a crazy person. So, I mean, I'm laughing, but 2006 was really, really ahead because my first job, I started working at a law firm after law school. This is 2015, 2016. 
I was still getting cassette tapes and transcribing them with my foot on the little pedal, right? Like that was my first kind of like data review job. And there was one guy in the office who had a digital recorder and like everyone fought over his digital recorder. Like, oh, give me the digital. It's so easy. Oh, yeah. So for you to have been doing that even 10 years before then, you were really, really ahead of the game. Yeah, I I was told when I started as a first year associate that if I did not learn how to dictate into a dictaphone, that that would negatively impact like my trajectory and like my, you know, my productivity. And, and mm-hmm. I, I, as a lot of young people do, I'm, I mean, I'm not as young now as I was then, but I type really, really fast. And I was like, no, 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 I, I'm going to dictate this. What? So someone can type it after hours, then we're going to print it. Then you want me to manually mark it up with ink only to hand it back to someone else to, to revise and print it and bring it back to me. I was like, no, I'm just going to type this. I can type yeah. it, you know, a lot faster. Oh, it looks like I've got hand gestures on my video. Sorry, that must be an okay. Apple thing. <laughs> yeah, so. I remember that we would take the recording, we would print out a copy on yellow paper. That was how you knew it was a draft. Yeah. Take it upstairs, leave it in their office after hours for them to mark it up, and then come down. And the, I think the second copy was blue, and then the final was in white on white paper. Isn't that um, crazy? It is. Even to think about just the expense, um, we had recycling bins, but I mean, it was it was still a waste. It was a it was a big waste. <laughs> but that's amazing. I mean, just to see how technology and stuff can improve things, because lawyers, I don't think that we are anti-technology. I do believe that lawyers and law firms, it's just a really big ship. And it's really hard to turn that kind of a really big boat, right? Like you just cannot just make a quick three-point turn with that big of a ship. So, you know, it takes pioneers like us (laughs) to get out there and do our little things. I think that's a really good analogy. I mean, for a lot of firms, it is hard to make a quick, nimble pivot, particularly for medium to large firms. Smaller firms, it's a little bit easier. Um, But yeah, I don't think it's that attorneys don't want to embrace technology. If anything, I think a lot of us, if we can find a tool, again, whether it's the attorney or the paralegal or the legal secretary, whoever it is on the team, if we can find a tool that will help us make us help us do our job faster, better, maybe even more efficient and more effective, right? Actually make us a better advocate for our client or for our cause, we'll embrace it. Um, But I I think it's just sometimes we get so busy with our own task load, with our own day-to-day that maybe we're just it takes us a little while to, t- to test it, to try it. But, you yeah. know, attorneys tend to really like it, like software in general, once they find a tool that, that kind of serves their needs. And so, like, I remember the days when all the attorneys that I knew, this was right when I started, had a BlackBerry on their hip, right? They had, the, had a little BlackBerry holster. Do you remember those? Did you ever see those? The big ones, yeah. Because they yeah. had the little clips on the side for it to sit there. Yeah. And so it was funny because, you know, there were a lot of attorneys who, loved their Blackberries and they clung to those Blackberries until, you know, I don't even know what iPhone model would have been out by the time some Mm -hmm. of them gave up their Blackberries, but they were like, I'm never, this is the best possible phone. There's no way that an iPhone could be as good as a Blackberry. And, but once they switch, they tend to stick with it. And I think we're seeing that, we're seeing that same transition with a lot of different things in law. I mean, we talked about it what now feels like an older transition was the transition from paper to paperless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've seen the transition over the years for law firms from from on-premises servers to a lot of people leveraging cloud-based servers. I mean, you know, if I think back into 2000, we'll say 
the early 2010s, it was difficult to work from home because you had to remote in through kind of a janky cloud, like, like, you know, it was, you could remote in, but it wasn't the same as just logging in at your desktop. It was slower. It was kind of a virtualized environment. um, And it made it almost painful to work from home. Yeah. Again, to your point earlier, we're not old, but we are, we are more experienced than some others. I remember 2020, only the partners at my law firm had laptops. Everyone else was still using a monitor and a modem at their desk. And so I was pregnant at the time. My daughter was born June, 2020. So I received a laptop just because of that. And I remember the world shut down in March and we were scrambling to buy laptops and can we just buy printers for people and can we ship paper to them? Like it was to think about it now it's laughable, but we were seriously like, what do you mean we can't go to the office? Like it was a huge deal to even just get laptops for everybody, associates, managers, all of it, because it was only partners. Right. So yeah, Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it sounds familiar. So before I started my own firm in 2015, I worked at Winstead, which is a fantastic Texas law firm based in Dallas. They have about 350 attorneys. Um, It's where I started my career. I made partner there and then left in 2015. But I think back to that time, that time period, kind of pre-2015, and it was not uncommon for if you wanted a laptop versus a desktop, you almost had to like request special permission or they had like a trial laptop or like, you know, like, like you could check one out as yeah. kind of, they had a few of them. So, you know, again, I don't know what that firm did after 2015, but I think it wasn't uncommon for firms of that size to not really just freely issue laptops. And so, yeah, yeah even, even that is a big change. And, and I don't know what the big firms have done recently you know, when I launched my firm, we switched to voice over IP. So we didn't, we don't use desktop phones. We just use a Zoom based app for our phone system too. So all of those things have shifted a lot since, since I started practicing law. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we do that too. A lot of like Zoom calling or Teams. And I remember when um, I used to love my desk phone and you could just call someone and just, I need this. Or I want lunch. Or I want coffee. And yeah. Um, so while we're talking, I had to do a quick Google because the show Jetsons was set in the year 2060. And I'm like, they're so much further than us. That's like 40 years. We got to catch up because <laughs> they would have had laptops already in the 2015s. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we got to speed true. it up. Although we did get some things right. I mean, we do yeah. have we do have video calling, which was kind of cool. Right. And mm-hmm. some, some home helper robots. A lot of us have yeah. you know, robot vacuums and stuff like that. <laughs> Look at us. So you made a good point of mentioning that you opened your own firm in 2015 after becoming partner. What was that like? Did you open with someone else or did you just step out on your own and then, you know, look for an associate or, or tell us about that process? Yeah. So I, I opened the firm with a really good friend of mine, Trek Doyle. Um, Trek and I had been practicing at Winstead for, for many years together. I had originally started in that with that firm in their Houston office back in 2006 uh, they were they were nice enough, gracious enough to let me transfer to the Austin office around Christmas of 2008, which is when my wife and I relocated back to her hometown of Dripping Springs. And so that was when I started working with Trek. 
was in January of 2009. And so we worked together, uh, I guess, from 2009 to about six years in that office and really just developed a good relationship. We worked a ton of cases together and there were a lot of them for us was personal injury defense. I mean, I did a lot of other types of litigation also at that firm. I did financial and banking litigation. I did commercial litigation. I did real estate litigation and I really enjoyed all of it. It's just that the personal injury defense work tended to be, it got me in a lot more depositions because it yeah. tended to be deposition intensive, which I thought was a lot of fun. And it also just started to consume a lot of my time. I mean, it was almost like by necessity, I had to start turning down other work because I was so slammed on the personal injury work. So anyway, to answer your question, long story short, Trek and I realized that if we were ever going to be able to grow the practice, the personal injury defense practice, we needed a little bit more rate flexibility than any big firm, not Winstead in particular, but any big firm can provide. Uh, it just tends to be a little more rate sensitive than the type of litigation that a lot of large firms handle. Um, so that's what prompted us to start our own firm. And that was a very stressful period of my life in 2015 when, when we did that, but ultimately it worked out. Yeah. So <laughs> what I'm thinking about is I'm listening to you talking about, I'm thinking about all the risk that you've taken which is great because I think that lawyers should actually take more risk because for one, we know how to mitigate the losses if they happen. But also like, I'd like to call us catastrophists because we're always thinking about the worst thing that could happen. But honestly, that means that if we take the risk, we probably have already factored out how to make it work. (laughs) So I say all that to say, I'm listening to you and I'm like, wow, you took a big risk on starting a firm. Wow. You left with somebody else while you're doing scribe. Like, I'm just listening to all the risk you're taking and you're being successful with them. It's well, great. I mean, look, I, I think we can peel back the onion a layer here and, and tell you it did not go as planned, Kyla. Like the, when I left the big firm, it was train wreck might be an accurate description. It was certain okay. it, it, it was it was painful in many respects because it was a law firm that I truly loved. The, the people there were my friends and it's not uncommon, right? Law firm departures, when someone leaves and tries to take a client with them or maybe a couple of clients, there can always be some turf battles. Um, but this one in particular, just it did not go the way I hoped it would go. So I actually learned a very valuable lesson. And I was only eight years into my career at that point. Yeah. I, actually, I actually just hit a milestone last week where eight years and eight months of my career was at the big firm that I mentioned. And the last eight years, eight months have been at my own law firm. So it kind of puts it into perspective a little bit. But Mm -hmm. I thought I thought I knew a lot back then, like I felt like I knew a lot, but I really didn't. And I was still learning. It was a risky move. And I certainly experienced the risk firsthand. And we ended up losing a client in the process of the move. But I will say in in hindsight, it made us more hungry than we had ever been. And so I think like if we had kept that client, we would have been a lot less ambitious probably in growing the base of the firm because then we would have had plenty to do. It would have been enough work to keep us busy. And so it actually was a blessing in disguise. And so kind of we went from really two clients down to one when we started the firm. We had one case. My wife was pregnant at the time with my oldest and I was kind of like, oh my gosh, what what are we going to do? We have, we've got to find work, right? I've got to be able to bring in revenue to feed my family. And 
you know, we just hit the street, right? I mean, we, we literally just went and met with every single person in our network. Um, a lot of it was in person because Zoom, you know, either wasn't a thing or wasn't popular back then. Mm-hmm. And so um, now today that law firm has over 30 clients, institutional, you know, larger, larger clients. So yeah. it certainly paid off. And, and sometimes I think you never know what the future holds. But part of what my advice would be to your younger listeners is persistence pays off. Like if, you you know, it's like a little bit better every single day, put the hooks in the water, continue to feed the plant. And someday, you know, you'll get to reap the rewards. Absolutely. I mean, I know losing the client was difficult, but do you think the train wreck happened because you were going from being an associate, newly partnered to being a business owner? Like, was that entrepreneurial jump the biggest hurdle? I think that that played into it. To answer your question more broadly, there's a very big difference between being a great associate or even a decent young partner, right? Just making partner and being a business owner and managing a book of business. It's just, it's a, it's a different skill set. Um, you know, some people could be very good at one and either not care about or not really know how to do the other. And the opposite is true. I mean, there are some people who are really great rainmakers who are really good playing the relationship game and getting business in the door. And they may not be the best tacticians or lit- you know, litigators. So it, it, it is a different skill set. One of my mentors once described it to me with a question. And his question was, Carl, how much time are you working on your business versus for your business? And, and, and his point was, you need to spend at least one day a week thinking about how is my business doing at a high level? What are things that I need to be focused on with whether it's business development or managing team members or making sure we're hiring the seats that need to be filled versus working for your business, which in my case as a litigator is just, you know, working on the cases, right? Digging, Mm -hmm. digging into the files. And until he said it that way, it just, I guess it hadn't struck me quite as, quite as hard. Like, you, you know, the thing it's like, it's like diet and exercise, right? You know, you, you, you know, the thing, you know what most people know what healthy food looks like. And most people know, you know, what exercise you should be doing, but actually fitting, fitting it into your schedule and making sure you do it consistently is, is another thing altogether. Yeah. It's much easier to just lounge in the workout gear than to actually use it for what it was made for. Well, and I'll tell you, you know, again, to you, to your young attorneys or people who are aspiring to be attorneys, it feels like sometimes a vicious cycle because for those of us who are, uh, and again, I'm not talking about myself, but let's just say you've got a really great associate who, and the partners recognize it. Well, what's going to happen? I'll tell you as a partner myself, they're going to load that associate up with work. Not, not because they're trying to overwork the associate, but because the associate's great. Like Mm -hmm. everybody wants to work with this young associate who's doing a good job, who's reliable, who's a good communicator. And what ends up happening is you get really busy as the, if you're that person, whether it's the paralegal or whoever on the team. And as you're busy, you're kind of moving from task to task, from partner to partner. You got to make time. You got to carve in that time for yourself, because at the end of, end of the day, it's up to you to look out for number one. Yeah, that's true. And burnout looks differently for everybody. Exhaustion, depression looks different for everybody. So like if you're just taking on all the work and doing it, you know, 
we don't want you to start making mistakes and then you end up not being the favorite or the hardest working and all of it. So you got yeah. that, you know, that brings up a really important topic that maybe we don't talk about enough. And you and I didn't talk about it, you know, before this podcast, but the concept of mental well-being as an attorney and as a legal professional, it really is important. And the thing that I would encourage your listeners to do is you have to be willing to speak up. You know, in what way is obviously up to you and in in, in kind of the relationships with the people that, that you're working with. But you have to keep in mind, sometimes the, the, the partner or the boss or whoever is feeding you know, the team with this work, we don't necessarily have a finger on the pulse of someone's workload or their mental well-being. So it's not coming. From, you know, I, I say this. I'm sure there are people out there who just, you know, sit behind their desk and and get maybe they get joy out of just working people to the bone but i think that that's probably very rare and that and that the opposite is true that we don't really know unless someone speaks up and says hey you know i actually and one of my team members just did this this week and i was so thankful for it he said hey i know you said you need this by next week but i have three depositions back to back to back in these other two cases you know i just wanted to let you know and i, and I was like Thank you. You know, because now I can I can move this around. I can reprioritize. Maybe I'll take that off your plate. Maybe we'll loop in a paralegal. I always tell my team, let's problem solve together. And if the and if the problem is I have too much on my plate, I'm over, you know, I I just can't get to it, which is causing stress. Then let's figure out how to solve it. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking up is so important. And I know that's easier said than done. So to everyone that's listening, any other young lawyers or law students, you know, it doesn't have to be some big, aggressive, assertive conversation. It can just be, hey, I just wanted to let you know, I'm already doing these four things. And then just see where the conversation goes, right? You don't even have to plan out the whole thing. Well, they're going to say, and I'm going to say, and this is going to happen. Just say your little piece. (laughs) And maybe you don't even approach it like the example. Maybe you send an email. Yeah. Um, When do you want this done? Because I'm currently doing these four things, right? Like there's multiple ways that you can approach it. Kyla, that's is I'm so glad you mentioned that, because I think sometimes young attorneys and and young team members sometimes will get a little caught up in worrying about how it comes across. And I've seen it done well and I have seen it done poorly. And I'll give you I'll give you just a quick example of both. Typically, in my opinion, when a team member is doing that well, they are asking a question and they are looking for guidance. It's something like, Kyla, I have this, 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 and this. You asked me to do A. Um, do you have any recommendations? I want to make sure I don't let anyone down. You know, sh- should I talk to the partner over here on this case and let them know that you have this that you know I'm working on? To try to ask the partner to help you prioritize, help you troubleshoot. Um, you will almost always get a favorable response to that type of question versus, and I've experienced this, an attorney who I didn't know was stressed and feeling overworked, getting really snippy and just, you know, being very short or just, you know, one word response. Okay, I'll get to it, you know, something like that. And then, you know, I dig in and say, hey, what's wrong? Or, you know, is everything okay? You know, because you want to you want to try to address those things and figure out what's bugging the team member. Um, But there's a right way to ask it and a wrong way to ask it for sure. Yeah. And it definitely depends on who you're talking to. So, you know, we can't really even give you a script because it really depends on your interactions with that person that you'll be speaking with. So, yeah. yeah. And it's good to get, you know, to like more than one, I hesitate to say cheerleader, but 
try to have at least a couple of people in the firm that you feel comfortable approaching on these types of issues. Um, it just helps to have a couple of different sounding boards instead of just kind of one person that you're going to all the time. Um, you know, I have seen more abusive, not not physically abusive, but certainly verbally abusive behavior before in the, in the world of law, not at my firm, that, that would be a no go. We have a no assholes policy. Um, so, but you know, I think that it can be a stressful job and sometimes people take that stress out on their coworkers and that's unfortunate. Um, yeah. and you know, we've got to know how to handle that when it does happen. Yeah. I had about three different people that I would go to because if you keep going to the same person, you're going to get the same kind of responses. So you do need that kind of community of responses that you were saying. Um, but you know, you get the assignment as a new lawyer and you just want to be like, we'll do done certainly. And you really should ask the more information. And so then my new thing was just great. When do you need this done? You know what I mean? Like try to get that conversation started to try to get more information. Well, um, cause to your point, You'd rather have it done on time, if not before, than have them come back to you and ask, are you still working on that? Or yeah. <laughs> did I miss that in my inbox? What happened? The same way you described like internal communication, you should treat the clients the same way, right? Some Like there are things are going to happen. Sometimes we're going to be a little behind on a report that we needed to get to a client on answering a client's question. And the number one way to make sure you don't ruffle that client relationship is to let the client know. And so I, I'll tell you, I just had one Friday, a client, one of my clients asked me a question. I did not have time to get to it, but I sent that client an email letting them know, hey, I haven't had a chance to dive into this. I will get to you Monday. I hope that's okay. If it's more urgent, please let me know and I can dive into it over the weekend. Took me about 15 seconds to write that email. But those are the types of communication you know, tips that really can set you up for success. Absolutely, because everything is communication. Everything, everything. So, Carl, this is fantastic. <laughs> that's all. I know. Yeah, I know the audience is learning so much. So you've already given us a lot of advice, but would you give us just one more piece of advice for what young lawyers and new lawyers can do with their law degrees? But I'll give some some examples and then I'll kind of pivot into how being an attorney and having that experience has helped me in my legal tech journey as an entrepreneur. So I would highly encourage all of your listeners who are either law students or just starting out to get that experience, like roll up your sleeves, whether it's a big law firm or a small law firm matters less than just getting in the trenches and getting that experience. It doesn't matter if you're a litigator or you're doing transactional work or whatever type of work you're doing. I think there is a lot of benefit to being in private practice and, and learning that piece of the puzzle. And it will set you up really well, regardless of whether you end up going in-house or doing something else altogether with your legal career. And so, you know, I think when I think about paths that someone could take and, and what I've seen a handful of my, you know, former colleagues at Winstead when I was at that firm, as well as former team members that I that I had on my team here that have left to do other things, it never hurts to have a law degree. And so, you know, it, you will end up, it, it is certainly another tool in your toolbox whether you decide to go get an MBA, whether you decide to start a business, understanding you know, the ins and outs of the law will serve you really, really well. And so for me, you know, it has helped me in 
so many different ways in starting Scribe. I mean, everything from, you know, how to set up an, an, an entity, right? Just forming like an LLC or, or a corporation, you know, were things that I was familiar with doing things like drafting employee agreements, drafting vendor agreements, you know, for, for Scribe in particular, analyzing laws around the admissibility of software powered depositions, you know, so that was kind of unique to my use case. But um, yeah, I think that there's just so many different ways your career can go with a law degree that definitely don't limit yourself just to one path, right? You, you don't, it doesn't have to be associate, senior associate, junior partner, senior partner. There's just, there's a lot more to it. And I've, and I, I see time and time and time again, you know, the attorneys that, that take some level of risk, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, starting a business. Um, it could just mean, you know, trying something different or, you know, it could even mean within your own company, making the app yeah. like, hey, I really enjoy it here. I want to make partner. Can you tell me if I'm doing the things that I need to be doing? What can I do better to set me up for success within this company? There's there's some risk there in, in, in asking the question, but I would encourage, you know, your listeners to take the risk. Absolutely. We are all about taking the risk, <laughs> all about it. <laughs> So, Carl, what is your website and where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm on a couple of different places. So uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, well, X now, right? Um, both with my name. My name is my handle, Carl Seelbach, K-A-R-L, Seelbach, S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H. Um, Scribe AI is the software company website, S-K-R-I-B-E dot A-I. And then my law firm is DoyleSeelbach.com. That's my law partner's last name plus my last name dot com. But any of those places, I'm also on Peloton. If you want to friend me on there, I occasionally get on either the tread or the bike and try to try to burn some calories. But um, yeah. Very cool. Thanks for talking to me. I'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Bye. Thanks, Kyla. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and leave a rating of this podcast. New episodes are released every week. So keep taking risk in your legal career, and I will talk to you on the next episode. Bye.